This is Changeling the Podcast. Changeling the podcast. Come for the glamour, stay for the vibes. I'm your host Josh, and with this is your other host Puka. Say hi, Puka. Nashbite chomp devour. What are we talking about today, Puka? We are getting into that hungriest of Kithane, the infamous Redcaps. Yeah, this is another art house copyright 1999, written by Wraith and other. He did many things, but he, he's mostly as a Wraith, I think. Rich Dansky, and developed by Nikki Ria and Jackie Caseda. Sort of the standard people involved. Yeah, the standard like four people at this point. Yep. This is very, a very art house book. Yes. I'm going to have lots of complaints about the amount of white space left <laughs> on the page. Yeah, that that felt a bit stretchy. And I think we're going to have differences of opinion on this gift book. Yes, I think definitely. Part of it is that in my head, I'm connecting it or comparing it to the other kiss book Rich Dansky wrote, which is Kiss Book Slua, which is, in my opinion, mm. the best of them. But that was pre-Art House and had very different standards and guidelines. Yeah, I would have liked this book better if it wasn't an Art House book. I'll get... mm. I don't know if our complaints are going to be different. I think we might just be weighing pros and cons differently or something, but we'll see. Perhaps. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this is a also a 90-page sparse although my physical copy is thick it's like thicker paper i don't know yeah maybe i i noticed that too art house did use print on demand so maybe they had like Mm -hmm. different paper stocks at different points yeah but yes 96 pages quite lengthy probably didn't need them all Mm, we'll see so yeah it starts out with another story the memory of teeth between an old red cap with a red cap childling i get the impression and basically talking about where do red caps come from. It does have the same faux handwritten font that goes between single column and two column. And yeah, I, I think I might have preferred this and without it looking like a piece of paper, it doesn't quite matter. <laughs> piece of paper. It, doesn't quite it was hard to determine. There were points when they were italicizing words and it was hard to actually tell. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I'm not. There's definitely criticisms about this book, yeah. for sure. And that's, that's... That being said, content-wise, this is probably my favorite Kith book opening fiction. I really did like yeah. this. Because it is the usual birthright origin story, but it's kind of in this dialogue between the elder and the childling, yeah. rather than the kind of pontificating many eons ago sort of thing. And then it's like, what do you remember? And it's like an interesting take on remembrance, where he's remembering, mm-hmm. like the childling's remembering, like, different origin stories or earlier periods and it's like different every time i love i like that, yeah. God, that was it's cool. like he's going from one past life to the one before we yeah think. but pretty quickly went to like pre-shattering like pre-changeling way and then just kept going back yeah and the upshot of it is that red caps are kind of stated to come from i would characterize it as humanity's fear of the devouring dark in nature like the mm-hmm. winter wind and the things that lurk in the shadows outside the firelight, which is a different kind of fear, primal fear than the slua. Cause to mm-hmm. me, the red caps are the fear of what humans knew. They knew how mm-hmm. powerful and maddening hunger could be themselves, but the slua are scary in a different way because they're this unknowable other thing. Mm-hmm. So that's a contrast that I like. But this is the one more likely to actually eat you. So right. pros, the knowability doesn't necessarily make it safer. <laughs> Right, yeah. There's lots of connections to riverbanks, too, kind of mm-hmm. drawn clearly here. Yeah, it gets into that later, too. With the... yeah. It's an interesting take on what even is a kith, mm-hmm. also in this book. Very short, though. I mean, given the size of the font and the size of the yeah. art and the number of pages, there's actually not that many words here. Mm-hmm. This will be a theme, recurring. Okay. Uh, I guess we go to chapter one, A Tale as Old as the Wind. Can you explain to me what's happening in this art? Red caps oh. are chopping a thing. Oh yeah, that's that's a story that comes up later in one of the sidebars. There's this uh, where was it? Oh, it's, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. The giant dragon. Yeah, that was a little bit confusing because it's it seems like it's a post-shattering tor- story of pre-unified England, but yeah. Anyway, they've got kilts. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Which also that's not East Anglia. Maybe they're killing a different one. 
but yeah well and that will be something that comes up the red caps as monster hunters as we enter mm-hmm. the discussion of their history mm-hmm. so yeah this is another take and i think as long as you keep the same grain of salt for all kith history chapters mm-hmm. or kith history what they remember there's sort of two views i think in kithane history there's the she were there from the beginning and the she are latecomers which is what this one is yeah along with the slua and the trolls even yeah yeah like this actually lined up with Kithbook troll history pretty well. I think something I commented when we talked about Kithbook Puka is that even though Changeling didn't get a revised edition, there were revised clan books and probably other splat books coming out when this one did. And some of the design principles or the narrative principles, I guess, are yep. showing through here. So it's kind of like in the voice of, well, welcome to the Kith, newbie. Let me give you the deets. Kind of like first yep. person yeah it's definitely in the revised era like it even talks about yeah the reckoning at one point although it seems like they might be talking to not a red cap in contrast with the opening fiction yeah it's either not a red cap or a very young naive seely red cap yeah so we get more about the red caps coming from sort of dreams of the cold winter wind which i like because there's a bit about humans needing to put a face to the otherwise invisible so that they could understand and defend against it with like early mm-hmm. magic and it also shows some of the roots of i guess red cap nihilism they welcome the winter because that's where they get their bitter anger from and things like mm-hmm. that yeah it's one of those they well it's their ecological niche like the types mm-hmm. of creatures that survive in like an arctic tundra are not the things that would survive in a tropical rainforest yeah and, and red caps are more the arctic tundra than the tropical rainforest kind yep they're hungry and they're going to do what they have to do to survive and they're not going to apologize for it. Mm-hmm. There's implication that there were other varieties of red capish predatory hunger fay out there, but they have distributed into the world. And maybe even the red caps are like a melting pot of some of those too. Yeah. I, I did like to note that the trolls were the only ones trying to create some kind of intricate society before the she showed up. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's no mention of Tuatha to Danon in this book. No. And no direct mention of Fomorians. Yeah, this history section, I don't mind the tone, but I think that the tone, I think that the tone took more of center stage than it should have. Like, I think Uh, more space was spent on giving this narrator a distinct voice than actually providing concrete information. hmm. And that's, that's a choice which some people will be fine with and other people might not. I found I got enough concrete information. Uh, I did not. Okay. (laughs) So, like, for example, the historical connection that we get is the Picts and their mysterious Mm -hmm. towers. We get very little about who the Picts were and the context in Mm -hmm. which they existed in northern Britain. There's no World of Darkness connection to things like the White Howlers or the Black Spiral Dancers. There's a lot of folklore that could be explored about the sacrificing a person in order to get a building to stand, which is a very strong mytheme that goes through a lot of cultures. Mm -hmm. But instead, there's like, it's kind of vague. And then the narrator snarkily calls out his own vagueness. I liked it. Like, I think it's, I'm not looking for my kids book to know how to play in third century or whatever changeling game. Like, that's not what I want from the book or the history chapter. I want to know, like, what would a red cap reasonably know about stuff? Fair. But at the same time, it frustrates me that we get very little about their roots in terms of like, we get stuff about, oh, humans are afraid of the hungry dark or whatever, mm-hmm. but it doesn't say anything about what were red caps doing in relation to humans for thousands and thousands of years. Is it just they lay in wait and occasionally ambushed and ate them? And that's the extent of their relationship? Because that to me just, there's so many places you could go with that. I think that is supposed to be the implication. Yeah. And for I'm, the most part, that's most of what they did. Their main core activity. Yeah. I just find that kind of a letdown, to be honest. <laughs> so. No, I think that's a great history to have. Uh, it would be a crappy game to play today. Like, well, right. Just yeah, all that's... good is just sit in the waiting. But as an origin, I'm good with that. No, maybe. I don't know that I needed like 10 vague pages of that. But Yeah. This kid book really helped me understand the Red Caps way better than before I read it, where they didn't make a lot of sense to me. I think the other piece that I'm comparing it to is like the Red Cap write-up in the original Player's Guide which Mm -hmm. while not the best of those write-ups 
painted enough broad strokes to deepen them. And I feel like this book doesn't always add enough detail to those broad strokes, which is what I wanted Mm -hmm. from it. And that's kind of my, the history part in particular is where I feel that frustration. Yeah, I really liked it. I don't know. Well, Well, we can agree to disagree. Yes, exactly. It was a little bit confusing under the shattering where they say three big, three big events and it wasn't in chronological order. order. Yeah. <laughs> I do like the opinion here that the she intentionally caused the shattering or semi-intentionally because they yeah. wanted to keep their enchanted world apart and above and the red caps resented that. It was the, it was the negligence of the she that caused it. Or a failure to see the consequences of what they were yeah. striving for. There's this whole metaphor of like a dog pile, which I guess is supposed to be talking about the changeling way mm. like how it was adopted or about the banality coming and then you find it's like how we survived it's like crawling out of a football dog pile and, yeah uh, that's a bit weird that also might describe the bully wastes and how the red caps ended up there yeah. yeah it's vague enough that your guess is as good as mine yep i also don't think these sidebars help much okay here's the thing this history is not about accurately determining what it was like back then Mm-hmm. It's about presenting what it's like to be a red cap now. And part of that's looking at your history, but only in terms of their parables, their messages for what you have now, which I think is pretty common in Cathane's stuff. It's just most of the other ones make them a lot more elaborate and whatever parables. Than... Hmm. I suppose. I will give credit where credit's due. In our last recording, I was complaining about not getting enough about what life was like in the interregnum. And we do actually get mm-hmm. a pretty long, solid narrative in one go yeah. about it. Kiths either tried to stick together or it was every fae for themselves and the red caps were definitely the latter. Mm-hmm. But eventually started banding together. Yep. Uh, mostly for monster hunting. But once they started, they were doing monster hunting individually and then went, you know, we might need to team up on some of these big monsters, which implies like entering their interregnum, there was some nasty stuff going around still. One weird thing I found, I kind of saw what he was coming about, but it definitely seems more like this guy's take than Universal Red Cap was liking the industrial revolution and i'm like i'm sure there were some red caps especially the ones who weren't directly in the factories but were like on the margins of it like the justifications they gave i can see why some red caps would like it but yeah not the ones who ended up in the factories that's not a red cap job it's not in any case i doubt many of them did to be honest They would probably be more taking advantage of the rapid urbanization and movements of people by themselves rather than actually working in the factories. And the fu- funny is that they get like Teamster and Strikebreaker as later as both as mm. both kids take jobs. It's yeah. like they're okay with whichever end of leg breaking they're doing. But A lot of them went to the U.S. and mostly stayed in the cities. With the, the world wars, they talk about how they deal in murder, not genocide. Mm-hmm. And then in terms of metaplot, they say that they were winning the Accordance War until David showed up and truced everybody. Yeah, that that also, the way they put it, it's like, mm, unreliable. <laughs> were you, though? <laughs> they were not done. It's probably the yes. best way of putting it. Yeah. There would have been a very long, bloody insurgency if someone like David had not stood up, come up with the peace. And now that he's gone again, as of the writing of this book, they're ready to start winning once more. Mm-hmm. Pages 24 and 25 have some egregious empty space. <laughs> oh, yeah. This, I don't think this book was, they had lots of extra text that they had to cut. That was definitely not a concern in this book, I don't think. Yeah. Like, it could have been shorter. They could have saved paper. Well, I don't know if they could have. It might have been, this is the page count they need. Well, they had to was... do a multiple of four, probably. Yeah. <laughs> but, I don't know. I just, I think that, the text could have been compressed and some of the art maybe shrunk and they would have had just as much content with fewer pages. But Mm. yeah, I feel like it was padded. Yes. In any case, that's the history chapter. Here's the Red Cat Society. Red Cap Society. I do really like this opening chapter art. Yeah. I want to see those characters. Like, yes. On page 27, we get a little bullet list about basically what sums up the Keth, where it's they eat everything in sight, can be wacky funsters who will munch on anything for a laugh, are all evil monsters, hate everyone else, are born spitting tacks and eating two-by-fours for breakfast, and dye their caps red in the blood of things they kill. And then the commentator says, absolutely none of these are strictly true in all cases, though the last one comes close. I'd like to think they can be true, 
Uh, also, in all cases. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's what I mean, is that yeah. these are starting points for developing a red cap. But I think it's also good red cap stereotypes. And I think they go more than just that. Yeah. This book does. Well, I think the degree to which this book counters that is, for me, not sufficiently interesting enough. Oh, I That's love why. it. I think it's, it does a good job, I think, of going, I understand how to play a red cap after reading this book. And that's more than any other Kith book where I read it and I understand how to play that Kith, is what I found. But Well, like, if I were to revise this bullet list based off of this Kith book, I would change it to eat anything they want when they want to. Can be wacky funsters who sometimes eat anything to get their. No, laugh. no, but you're, but they're talking about the stereotypes. They're not talking right, about but those. Those books are supposed to be the stereotypes, not the truth. No, I get it, but I'm saying mm-hmm. I think this book says that it's countering these stereotypes, and then actually only kind of half counters them and doesn't really add more stuff to them. I don't know. I think it adds a through line. It adds reasons. It adds depths. You can. I don't know. Well, it adds, it gives reasons for why those stereotypes exist, maybe. <laughs> and why they're not, why they're often. And, and why they're stereotypes, yeah. Yeah. But it doesn't really tell me much new material. Like, I'll save my, my complaints for the end. Yep. Okay. And it's like, gets into what's a red cap. It is interesting. They take the red caps, I think, are the only kith where their birthright's a frailty especially in this book like their frailty is a consequence of their birthright a lot of the problems with the red caps are a consequence of their birthright the hunger so yeah which is kind of a mixed bag birthright when you think about it aside from hunger they're kind of defined by their bullying which is born out of their some would say bad attitude they might say brutal honesty Mm -hmm. and uh hats which are really just for flavor Mm -hmm. but all of this also ties down to like hunger as a chronic pain condition chronic hunger. Mm. i wish it had said more in that direction mm. i think that would have made the book appeal to me more i also okay. can't scream enough about page 28 the line you got to think why there are red caps out there and not blue caps or green caps or whatever there absolutely are blue caps in folklore and i think there might be green caps too <laughs> so. but also it's like that yeah that one the some of this you got to think uh, like, uh because i think they're saying they ate them maybe <laughs> or maybe they're saying this perhaps this. what would the, what would blue cap dip their cap in i'm distracted by this art that takes up like 70 percent of the two pages yep in any case then we get some notes on sealy red caps briefly they do exist they mm-hmm. are mostly jokes who go out of their way to seem harmless and therefore get little respects but then they're also badasses who bully their own urges into submission to become knights etc respectable enough yeah i don't know if it says mostly well, I think the badasses are like the exception that proves the rule. Hmm. I got the impression the badasses were at least as common as the... Yeah, perhaps. But uh, actually, a lot of redcaps might start out as jokes as childlings or something. There you go. The redcaps who stay seely are mostly badasses. <laughs> I got. The most important thing is that they are always hungry, usually yeah. in the stomach sense, sometimes in the violence sense, and maybe occasionally other senses. Mm-hmm. I do like the metaphysical implication on page 31 that what people believe is true about their eating habits becomes what's true about their eating habits. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know. Yeah, the author, the in-character author is definitely taking, there's like stances on changing metaphysics. This presents the red cap kith generally taking a certain stance that you might not see from, say, the she very much. But Yeah. And then we suddenly go out of that voice into the third person <laughs> the eating people the rules yeah this is a bit i'm like hurts my head a little bit yeah if it's like what exact how what and it says don't think about it too hard i'm like okay i won't thanks book <laughs> well i guess the implication is that swallowing people whole necessarily must be a chimerical only trick unless you call upon the weird yeah and it also seems to be primarily something they use against other fey who will after yeah. a year and a day recover themselves and whatever but now, the weird part is, why would eating a Kithane hole lead to a Kithane who's chimerically killed, but an enchanted mortal would lead to a dead mortal, not a mm-hmm. chimerically killed mortal? I... I guess it's like the, if you die in the Matrix, you die in the real world sort of thing. <laughs> Maybe, but that's not how chimerical death works. That that yeah. little bit, like, I'm a little bit... Mm. Also, I don't know if it, eating whole needs to be a red cap thing. I think eating in chunks works just fine. Yeah. But... 
anyway, we get lots of mechanics for all of that. And I do yeah. like the note that treasures on the devoured victim stay inside the red cap. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. Loot drops when you kill a red cap. Exactly. I want there to be an NPC boss red cap who has like eight treasures fall out of him when you defeat yep. him. There's a bit on social implications that says red caps who sort of happily lean into cannibalism will be outlaws. So they're careful about it. And mm-hmm. yeah. Poison rules. Yes. There is poisons that can bypass the red cap birthright, but they're chimerical and maybe they shouldn't be eating plutonium or uranium either. Mm. Uh, at least would give you throat cancer. <laughs> oh, they like to play up their messy eating habits in front of the she. Or anybody who's weirded out by it. Yeah. Sometimes they invite other gleefully violent fae to dinner as guests. And if they mm-hmm. get through the meal, they'll be the red cap's buddy for life. Mm-hmm. This part was fine mm-hmm. for me. I really like this next part, Mary Ban of Desperados, like explaining, like, this is interesting that it kept through, because this was like a very first dead idea, mm. and it kept through here, but I think it works of, it's not saying all red caps have to only associate with red caps, but most red caps associate with red caps, and describing there. Because most other fae don't want the red caps around. Yeah. So. But the red cap social structure, I, it's a fairly flat organization. It reminds me of the sort of lore about pirates where it's like the captain's in charge, the second in command might be a little bit above everybody else, but then otherwise it's a completely even flat democracy, mm-hmm. in theory at least. Yeah, and it's not implying that like the lads, as it puts it, it's not mm-hmm. implying that all of them are absolutely escorted the exact same respect and whatever, it's just they don't have like authority. Yeah. Necessarily. Like in a... Except to elect the boss because the boss must be voted in unanimously. What? There's a note where it says, in the end, the new boss has to be in there by unanimous consent. How he gets the consent is up to him, but that's the rules. Uh, so you can threaten and browbeat people into voting for you, but <laughs> they still have to vote for you. I don't know if they actually vote. I think it's more like, does anybody disagree? Well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Enough to say anything? Yep. Um, I don't think we actually get the word Corby anywhere in here, which mm-hmm. is established elsewhere as the name for a red cap gang. Yep. We definitely get the structure of a Corby, though. Yes. Boss on top. They're appointed lieutenants just underneath. Sometimes for larger. Sometimes. Never more than two. Yep. And then the rank and file, the lads. And also Mm -hmm. the cook. Don't mess with the cook. Yep. I'm just picturing like a very tough Boggan who's in a red cap court. Yeah. I'd be here for that character. They keep their loot in a hideaway, which may or may not be a freehold. The boss's word is law. So yeah, you get a few general notes about their structure. Yeah, one, the one time I played a Red Cap PC, this part was very helpful for me. Mm. We get how Red Caps fight. They fight to win. Yep, usually no prisoners, but occasionally if the prisoner's yeah. worth enough to trade and not, you know, oh, you took somebody everybody likes but is no good in a fight. Well, let's take them then, sell them, or ransom them. I like the note that they don't show any compassion for their fellows who get captured unless they're asked to swear an oath because then they'll just break it later. So they're mm-hmm. like, okay, if we can get our if we can get our guy back and then all we have to do is say some words that we're going to just go back on anyway, sure, why not? You know, thinking about Deep Space Nine and things like that, this is very like super unseelie Klingons, this whole. <laughs> well, what the section suggests to me is that they fight to win and part for morale reasons, but also because their root dream is to tear things down. So they are relentless and they don't show quarter or mercy and they don't care about honor so much as victory. So yeah, unsealy Klingons, like you say. Mm -hmm. When they're going solo, they prefer ambushing, which requires some cunning. Or if they're in a motley, they'll be that motley's murder hobo. And then full-on corbies do these elaborate Velociraptor-style ambushes, luring the enemy with decoys and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Occasionally, you get a proper warband with a war chief, which are like changeling weapons of mass destruction that you just point in the direction you want. Yeah, and these are generally, usually short-term. Although it's saying more and more lately, as the War in Concordia story is building up, yeah, uh, not all the warbands are disbanding. So, mm-hmm. but that would be heck a big problem on local resources if one stays together in one place too long. Yes. We have a whole page-long sidebar on an example of the, some of their tactics. So. Mm-hmm. I like that story. Yeah, it's a good, it's a pretty good story. Aside from fighting, 
well, in addition to fighting, because fighting is also kind of implicit here, the Redcaps enjoy drinking, although they have to want to get drunk in order for it to work. Mm-hmm. Singing and dancing, which is hilarious, and I wish there was more about it. Yeah, I want I want full video, like choreographed. <laughs> sports, obviously. Which is very similar to their war, the sports pit. Yeah. They say that one of their favorites is Shinti, and I have no idea what that is. Do you know what Shinti is? No. I'm going to search it real quick. Oh, oh it's, it's uh, like Scott. Yeah, Scottish. Because that's the thing. They are Scottish folklore and northern yep. borderlands folklore. So it's kind of like hurling. Yep. They also like hunting and then studying and teaching about hunting, fighting, etc. How to be a red cap. Yeah. Red caps at play. But they're big on taking care of their childlings or new red caps. Not necessarily in a way that the new red cap would agree is being taken care of. But yeah. this giant art on 42 and 43 just... Uh. <laughs> I think I know what your one of your banality, your antithesis must be wasted art space. Well, it's egregious to me because I wanted more from this book than I feel like I got. Uh, okay, and that yeah, that's just like rubbing salt in. <laughs> I yeah, I again, I don't know. I can't think of a lot of text I'd want to cut though from this book. I don't think I'd want to cut any of it. I just I want, want more, more text. Yeah, more text. <laughs> The text only frustrates me because of what's not there mm-hmm. and what's not there could easily be provided if they didn't have art and white space taking up so yep. much of so many pages. Uh, I don't, again, I don't know if that's the cause, but I think no. this might've been the text they got from Richard Tansky. Oh, so I'm sure. Like, yeah, yeah, I'm sure it was. And I'm sure time and payment and everything were considerations, mm-hmm. but I don't know. I compare it also to issue, which for all of the stuff going on in that book was had a lot more crunch to it, I suppose. We'll we'll get to issue. We'll get to that. Anyway, 44 and 45 is probably the best two pages of the book. Yeah. The only thing I disagree with, like don't make a two page sidebar. Yeah. (laughs) This this isn't the M20 core book. Like, yeah, this could have just been a section. Yeah. And I had thought I was thinking back to our discussions before about other texts that deal with red cap childlings and i had thought there was more in this part in particular about the red caps like specifically going out of their way to be really attentive to their kids mm-hmm. and there is some of that here but it's not the part that i remembered and i'm trying to like was it in the player's guide was it in the enchanted yeah. i can't remember there's a little bit in understudying we have to take care of our own yeah one, one else will but it's not like it's not really implying they're the most attentive parent parental figures of all the kiths it's just other kiths maybe someone else might help out that you're not going to get a red cap taken under the wing very much although they have stories of that actually in this book but it would be an interesting counter stereotype like if one of the stereotypes was they don't care about their childlings and it's like well here's where we're going to directly refute that that would be interesting to me because mm-hmm. it is very, I would say, clear that this section is kind of a coded metaphor for forms of intolerance and how adults instill it in children, which rightly mm-hmm. infuriates the red caps who have to bear the brunt of it. Yeah. And it is a very effective piece of text, which does go a long way to explaining them. It's talking about intolerance in a way that doesn't really fit with the real world for humans, because a red cap is kind of like that. It doesn't make it any better, but... It's that chicken and the egg dreams informing Mm -hmm. their nature kind of feedback loop. Yeah, the intolerance definitely reinforces it, that's for sure. And another Deep Space Nine connection, it's like that episode where Odo tries to adopt and raise a baby Jem'Hadar. (laughs) Yep. And you're like, maybe the Jem'Hadar could have a better society, but they couldn't be humans, for sure. I also think that episode probably came out around when this was being written, so... I'm just thinking now, they should have just taken that Jemadar and raised him by, like, Klingons. I think it would have worked fine. Mm, yeah, maybe. Anyway, it's it's a solid piece of text. Mm-hmm. And I like, I think this section does a lot more to leverage that tone of the narrator than mm-hmm. the vague history stuff. Like, it really highlights the text here rather than muddies it for me. And then we get a picture that really fits that. Yeah, exactly. Like the picture when you turn the page and then it's like, oh, this is exactly what they're talking about. Yep. That's that makes it all the more effective as we enter chapter three. 
Shut Your Big Mouth is what it's called. And then it starts with the first header, Why We Don't Like You. It's about the other kiths. Yeah. Well, and that, that's part of what makes me think this is in the voice of someone talking to a non-red cap as well. Yep. I just wish I knew who they were talking to. Yeah. So we get some quick summaries. Boggins mm-hmm. are sad and boring, but sometimes have impressive determination. Mm-hmm. Ishu, this is like every stereotype about Ishu in every kith book. Yeah. It's... They're so weird and mysterious. And they travel and they talk a lot. Knockers are kind of an antithesis because knockers are all about building. Redcaps are all about tearing things down. Mm-hmm. It is nice that they note redcaps like basic weapons because one might think, oh, well, redcaps should appreciate like a bespoke knocker chainsaw or something. And the redcaps mm-hmm. are like, no, give us a baseball bat. Yeah, I get the impression a redcap would dislike a goblin just as much as a knocker. Probably, yeah. So. Puka are fantastic and wonderful. Yeah, this is remarkably pro Puka, actually. It's like, oh, I don't want to eat Puka. Stop it. <laughs> yep. The Seder connection was interesting because mm-hmm. they point to some of the common roots in terms of understanding hunger in a different way. Mm-hmm. But then they kind of think the Seders are too impressed with themselves to acknowledge that. So they don't get along as well as they could. And then the, the she. <laughs> the she, this fits a lot of other stuff we read, not just in Gifbook Red Caps. But yeah. The heavily commoner, pro-commoner you on the she yeah it kind of mounts to a fever pitch i would question the note in here where it's like oh we were doing just fine without them Mm pre-resurgence it's like were they the red caps might have been doing fine yes were the kithane as a whole doing fine? from a red cap perspective yes (laughs) yeah because the books have generally come down on the side of before the resurgence life was pretty lousy yeah like yeah the fae got by and made it work and had the best lives that they could but but the yeah. red cap, like, there's a whole prideful toughing it out kind of thing. Not just in this book. But mm, that's fair, yeah. They'd rather tough it out than live under the yoke. So Yes, absolutely. The Slua one I found interesting, where it's like, it's like the in-character author kind of wishes they could be closer to the Slua, but it just doesn't work on either end. Like, they do not like each other. It doesn't work, at least from the author's perspective. Never yeah. can make it work with the Slua. Which is funny, given who the author is who wrote Kithmuglu. I like that. (laughs) They're kind of two sides of the same primal coin. To follow up on what I said earlier, thinking about it more, the red caps are the thing that you're afraid of that's watching you from outside the fire and you know is waiting Mm -hmm. for you to drop your guard or go to sleep before it pounces and chomps you. The slua is the thing that you know is watching and you can't see. I think even the like level of detail for the two Kith books kind of works on if you think about what their fear is like Mm. the red cap fear you don't need to really tell stories about that kind of i mean you can convey the information but you don't need to elaborate really it's like there's something horrible it's going to eat you okay moving on right the slua one the more you think about it's the fear comes in from your own head thinking yeah red caps are what they are they are knowable Mm -hmm. and they are straightforward slua are not at all Mm mm-hmm and then the trolls is like every unseely take on the trolls I've seen, kind of. Yeah. Or even seely, like it's, yeah. Too proper for their own damn good, especially when fighting. But still tough as nails. <laughs> like it's. Yeah. So some respect. Yep. And Nunahi. Just avoid them. Yep. It's like, I don't understand them. I don't want to make trouble for them. I'll go over here. It's neither nuanced nor uh, patently offensive. Yep. The denizens. That was like, okay, you heard a weird rumor about Karamek, fella. Like, that's not why you're all yeah. hunger. But I like that kind of th- weird take, right? Like, you're like, what? I just, I want to know more about where that's coming from. Yep. I mean, even in character, even if it's wrong, I want to know how did you get that idea? Well, yeah, I can kind of see if you read Denizens of the Dreaming, there's like this yearning for humanity and living again thing among the Karamek. I suppose, yeah. All right. And they want to meet the Naraka for some reason. Or he met one Naraka and went, that's kind of cool. I mean, the Acheri would probably saw through get along with mm. too, but. Yeah. Vampires have something in common with red caps, but less than you think. Werewolves are cool. Mages are. Pompous children. <laughs> this is so weird. Like every changeling book, when it talks about mages, they have this kind of stereotype about them. And it's like, then you read the mage books and you're like, where's this coming from? Like, are they only meeting hermetics? Like, what is happening here? I mean, probably. Yeah. The Wraith section, I thought, worked. 
And then we have the Sealy opinion, but it's not really the Sealy opinion. It's like the Sealy side of the same <laughs> the same Red Caps opinion. This two-page sidebar could have been a one-page sidebar, yes. or maybe even just a less than one-page section. Yes. Anyway, just to fly through the Sealy opinions real quick. Boggins are respectably hardworking. Issue actually talked to Red Caps, so that's nice. Knockers talk too much, but they're okay. Puka are harmless and indifferent to the Red Caps, which they appreciate. Satyrs know what it's like to cut loose. She are disciplined, if nothing else. Slua, yeah, and trolls give good scrap. Mm-hmm. So, there you go. Not, it's not entirely different from the unseely perspective, like the stage. It's kind of grudgingly admitting some yeah. positive points. Well, it's one of those, like, if you can't say, only say the good things, don't say the right. bad things about them. <laughs> okay, I'll try. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Anyway, then we get Hunter's yep. avoid. Yeah. Thalane. Apparently, this one never met any. Met a denizen, never met a Thalane. Interesting. Uh, there's other weird things. I get the implication, but it's very not clear that they're talking about, uh, at least in part, Fomorians, mm-hmm. the great unknown. Yeah, the big head story was kind of neat. I just really hope that that's not like misrepresentation of a legend. That's true. I don't know enough to know, but it does point out though, that the moral is having appetite on its own. Isn't sufficient to survive. You also need smarts. <laughs> and as much as I'm griping about the giant art, the full page woodcut ish picture of a river hag on page 57 is pretty cool. Mm-hmm. So now for something different river hags. And this yeah. is, they're not Thaline reflections of red caps because red caps are pretty close as it is, but they read like Thaline of something. Thaline Gillydew? <laughs> I was trying to think what would the Kith equivalent or the changeling equivalent of a bloodline be? Because that's mm-hmm. what it is to me. And this book implies there are other ones too for red caps. Yeah. So it's not like the dark inversion of red caps. They're just an offshoot that are specialized. I think they have more dark on average. Maybe maybe darker, but they're yeah. not full on, mm-hmm. you know. And they certainly don't seem like Fomorian servants to me. They just want to be no, left no. alone to patrol their piece of the river and eat things. River lurks. Something like that, yeah. Um, and they only attack the mean, the stupid, and trespassers. It doesn't actually say they're only women, but it implies they're only women. Well, in folklore, yeah. I mean, there are plenty of examples of river hags. Particularly... British folklore. Mm-hmm. So they're antisocial and defensive, occasionally vicious and cruel, so eating people. And I like that they fight soggy, not dirty, just soggy, mm-hmm. holding their enemies underwater, etc. Yep. Then we get the actual stats. I think they get more downsides than pluses than what they should get. But yeah. you're talking about player character, but. So they can't have an appearance higher than one, and they must take two dots in swimming and one dot in brawl. Their background should reflect that they're solitary creatures. All of that could have just been, here, have these dots and, yeah. you know. Uh, I think this is the first mention of skill swimming. It's a secondary. Oh, it is? Okay. But, like, athletics is a talent, anyway. <laughs> well, they could have given them one dot in athletics and said specialty swimming, I guess. But... Yeah. In addition to the basic red cap birthrights and frailty, they get an additional one of each where they can breathe underwater indefinitely, but then if they stay away from their home river for more than a week, they start taking a level of aggravated damage per day that mm-hmm. cannot be healed outside of their home waters. Bummer. Yep. And then we get role playing in the issues with bringing them into a game, which weirdly, river hags, I've never, I don't know if I've seen one in a LARP, but I think it works even it works better in a changeling LARP than in a tabletop game because you can have like. Yeah. You know, you occasionally show up to a game, you're a river hag, <laughs> you hang out there for a bit in the session, then you go back home, right? That is the level of social interaction that river hags are described as sometimes doing. So, I think they're about as easy or difficult to integrate into a game as selkies are. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's not impossible and it's it makes sense when you align it a certain way. You just have to... There of... are more places that have rivers, though, than shoreline where you could play. Well... <laughs> Yeah, but depending where you're running your game, yep. you know, it might be trivially easy to include a Selkie or non-trivially difficult to include a river hag. I also like there's a brief throwaway note in the write-up where it mentions sort of uh, Rhine maidens or Lorelei's and saying like, oh, those are probably just river hags in disguise. And I like that idea of a river hag with like sick dots and chicanery just putting on this pretty face mm-hmm. to lure people in and then eat them. 
Would it be chicanery or ledger domain? Uh, I think chicanery. Okay, I'm going to say one complaint about the Melissa Aron. I like some of her art in things. I don't like her drawing of red caps for some reason. Hmm. They're all wearing lipstick. Yeah. Like they've all got these very full, supple lips, which. Mm-hmm. So we get some legends. Five of them, in fact. Yeah, we get loner antagonist, loner antagonist, loner protagonist, loner antagonist, and then social antagonist. There we go. Yeah, seems accurate. There were two that I liked Mm -hmm. out of these five. So there's Shabby Man, who I actually think is kind of problematic as a figure because it plays into those like dangerous homeless person stereotypes. Mm -hmm. If they had gone more into the tilt about him being the product of like these unfounded extrapolated fears, I might roll with it more, but they don't. He just eats children. (laughs) So it's not great for, you know. Like weirdly, if they made him prey more on homeless people. It would be less problematic somehow, but yeah, I yeah. don't know about that either. So yeah, I do like Simon Cold because he lives in the Pine Barrens of New Jersey, where he leads his wild hunt mm-hmm. into that. Squire Desmond, which is the hard ass Sealy type, fay the Ronin who refuses knighthood, whose cap is getting really faded. <laughs> yeah, Weedy Peg, the classic river hag who kind of keeps up Dread Pirate Robert's style. I dig her. She's my other favorite. And then Captain Rack. Leader of Concordia's most notorious band of redcap brigands. There's not a ton of text on him, but this feels like more than it needed. <laughs> well, interestingly, too, I was looking for Rotgut Redhelm, and he's mm-hmm. actually in War in Concordia. Maybe that's where his first appearance is, but yeah. I feel like Rotgut Redhelm sort of replaces Captain Rack and then mm-hmm. gets more expanded within the meta plot. But you'd get the impression there'd be several of these types too, right? Yeah. So you just need one, and the mm-hmm. one that we get in the next book is more fleshed out and connected with the world. Yeah. And say. maybe if you're going to have a second one, they have to be really into opera or something. That's freaking I was just really hoping to see Mug from the Player's Guide, the Sealy in love with the Puka. Mm-hmm. But alas, I guess he's not famous enough to make it into the kiss book. But that's it. And then we get some red caps who are interesting haircut choices. Um, was it just the time when this was, was 1999 just that style? Like, is that what's... I don't even know what to call that style. So, And chapter five, another mod feed where we get more of these characters. Definitely some of these don't really work as player characters, I'd say. But yeah, I think some of them do and some of them could be dropped in as NPCs quite easily. But Potentially. Yeah. I'm not imp- super impressed by any of these, but I, there's none of these that like made me go, oh, I hate this. The one that I liked the best was the last one, the Scourge, who's like a paladin of rage. And mm-hmm. I dig that. I dig having paladins who are honorable in a very specific way and represent a very specific concept that's not just like goodness. So that mm-hmm. was cool. I kind of like the Reluctant Devourer. That was my second favorite. <laughs> yeah. And the old monster kind of works too, because although that's having some weird implications. as to It really is. Yeah. I was not sure how to feel about that one. Yeah. The clown I thought was okay. Like the kid who eats for attention, but then also has like swole strength and stamina. Mm-hmm. Like, okay. Bushwhacker was very one note. Yeah. And captain under a bloody banner. It's like, okay, we already got, it's just a lesser captain rack. Okay. The Bushwhacker, the old monster, and the captain to me felt like the typical red caps you would expect. Yeah. I thought the old monster had a little bit more of them, which is why it stood a little bit more for me. But Is it a him? Because I read it as a her. Oh. But maybe a her. Either way. But in any case, I like the ones that are a little bit more off the expected track. Mm-hmm. Then we get the appendix with the treasures and whatnot. The crunchy bits. The gauntlets level one. I found this to be a bit overpowered for a level yes. one treasure. <laughs> uh, I don't. I think it's fine as a treasure, just not a level one treasure. Yeah, where it just it keeps every time you successfully hit the damage dice go up by two. Like what? Oh, I don't think it's cumulative. I think it's just plus two damage. Oh, but still, you can also catch their flesh and perhaps do additional. Oh, okay. It was a weird. I thought it was saying that it just keeps escalating. I'm like that's a 
Okay. Yeah. And then we have dry dust. That was a interesting treasure. Causes ravenous hunger for an hour. I felt like those two could have probably been switched, but yeah, the blooded gauntlets at level three are the really nasty ones. <laughs> and this one is interesting because it has a big drawback. Yeah. Where when you punch someone successfully in whatever you do this roll, and you don't have a choice to do the roll, dexterity plus brawl to flick nine. If you succeed, you're now stuck in the person as the gauntlet eats them, basically. Yep. And they're nearly impossible to take off without spending willpower. The grinder, I don't get the point of it. I kind of liked it. Like, why would a red cap want it? Like, it doesn't make it taste good, and it destroys a bunch of properties of the thing. I guess better than trying to, if you're like trying to get rid of a painting or something. Well, because there might be some things that you don't want to eat yourself. Yeah, that's true. And I like that they won't take a red cap's tooth, and if you try to put a red cap tooth in it, the whole thing falls to pieces. Mm -hmm. Logie's ashes. I feel like this should have been the legendary treasure. It, there's a, it just fits a lot with Changeling when you're talking about the Cathane, where it's like they're Celtic first, but then there's all these Norse side things, and then the rest of Europe. Well, when you consider the influence that the Norse had on the British Isles. Yeah, that's true. There's a bit of that. And especially up in Scotland. Mm -hmm. Oakney Island, red caps. There you go. The ashes, when they're scattered, spread an effect for miles that turns food and drink to dust when eaten for a year. And I like the story potential of that, as well as sort of the mm -hmm. red cap culture around being careful to turn them loose and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And they're running low. And they're running low. There was only one Logie, I guess. Who maybe should have been in the, the inanime kingdom, but not, not a Parazone. Mm -hmm. Like one of the other. Solomond. There we go. Red cap in anime. That'd be fun. Ooh. We get two unique treasures, although the first one, I don't really... That's not a treasure. Yeah. <laughs> it's a thing. It's actually closest to... We'll get to so eventually to Exalted the Fair Folk. This is an unshaped... Like, it's almost a tentacle to much. Interesting. Yeah. Well, we don't really have an equivalent for a place that is glamorous, but not a glade or a freehold. But it's also alive. It's semi, yeah, it's like a sentient place. It's like Fiddler's Green almost, except yeah. instead of being this sort of bucolic, charming figure, it just eats people who walk yeah. on it. Yeah, if you go through that sort of Exalted the Fair Folk thing and then try to connect it, this would actually be like a minor Fenmorian. But... Mm. Well, perhaps that's its origin. Mm -hmm. And then Winterblade, the scythe that will bring winter. I think my problem with that one is simply I've seen too many scythes used in... <laughs> That's like horrible weapons. I'm like, sorry, you're not cutting a lawn. You're not harvesting wheat. It's, not... it's the symbolism that counts. Yeah. It's a nasty weapon, though. For like, it, Stats wise, as a unique treasure, it makes total sense. And it messes you up because it like, yep. it turns you into like a gnarled skeleton figure. Like you become death. But if you drop it, you'll wither away in, in, into dust. So with a single slice, it's a potent treasure, but it's. It's like, you, you get this if you need to kill some things, and it will take you eventually. So. Yep. I like the hungry grass. Yeah, it was cute. It does say that for you to realize that you're standing on this grass that is draining your life force, you have to roll intelligence plus chimeras. Not sure what to do with yeah. that. Yeah. I guess that's Kenning or Grimaire, but... Yeah. Well, to know that this is what's draining your life force. Right, really. yeah. I like the idea to... It's ambiguous about if you have to spend two turns on the same spot, but I like the idea that you do because then if you're walking over a large patch of it and then you stop and you realize you're being drained, it's like, oh, now you're in the middle of this giant field of it and mm -hmm. you have to get out. So Yeah, anything with like grass or like the... If you, did you ever read Ringworld? There's a bit about very dangerous flowers that kill you. Like that, yeah. I don't know, I like that kind of thing. Well, in Fool's Luck, we also got that field from the battle site where it has like the brambles that seek blood or whatever. Mm -hmm. And we have boggies. Not to be confused with bogies or boggins. <laughs> yep. And these are like half chimera, half fey things. Sort of a proto-kith that precedes the establishment of a hag at a river spot. Mm -hmm. And then some merits and flaws. These weren't too terrible a lot of these the aversion eh, chicken claws 
for some reason, I, a quarter of all players play, making red caps in games that I've run have wanted to take that flaw. I don't. Interesting. <laughs> they just feel they don't need dexterity, I guess. Yeah. Faster. That was kind of cool. Granite skins kind of meh. Unforgettable taste. I really like. I just don't think it should be five points. <laughs> I think it needs a system. It, it also <laughs> probably should have a system. Yes. Because as it stands... Okay, if you take it as auto-succeeding at whatever it says it does, then it's maybe five points isn't enough, but... I mean, all it really does is you can track things that you've tasted. Yeah, but for how far and how far, how long and how far yeah. away, that's the question. Well, it says the nearest supply of that taste, so however far away the nearest yeah. one is. But if you just bit a person, there's only one supply of that. Well, then you would know exactly how far away they are. Mm-hmm. Given that maybe five points is sufficient, but you really yeah. have to have a character who leans into it to make it worth it. Well, not how far away it is, where it is. Well, yeah, presumably that includes <laughs> the distance. Yeah, but you'd be like, when you're out driving and you need to like grab a coffee, you'll know where the nearest place to get coffee is. <laughs> I've been there. In any case, I don't hate these, but I don't know that I would feel drawn to really take any of them. Mm-hmm. I think I like the treasures more. But yeah, and then there you get the sheet, which is really just the sheet with some with red caps written on it, and then the birthrights and frailties. Yeah, but no myth lore. So yeah, at least it's the actual correct second edition sheet. And then we get there's the back page, which the book does do what the back says. Yeah, it does. So, so your overall thoughts? I think we have different thoughts. <sighs> so. Ultimately, I don't know that this book tells me anything I don't know, couldn't figure out on my own, or couldn't come up with on my own. And it has these vague tilts of how Redcaps have been through history, sort of vague outlines of their organization, which we've already seen elsewhere. The rules for eating people, both social and mechanical, okay, there's some nice crunchy bits with the river hags and the treasures. The occasional narrative hook, like the childlings, I really liked. But I want to know, like, what are their thoughts on the S-cheat? Or if we had an honest accounting of Sealy Redcaps, mm-hmm. are there any connections to specific points in time or place beyond, oh, there were these Picts once? I think it's admirable to write in the voice of a Redcap who doesn't care about all of that. But at the end of it, I want it to be a book that's usable by the players and usable by the storytellers to enrich the game. So the narration being like kind of just the same point over and over, the content being uneven, but nothing really standing out and overall being kind of shallow. It doesn't make it worth it to me, especially with all of that wasted space. And when I compare it with Kissbook Slua, I very much prefer that one, which had fewer pages and yet I still came away from it feeling like I knew a lot more about the Slua compared to the original write-up than this one makes me feel about the Red Caps. It's not my least favorite Kiss book, I'll say that. <laughs> but I don't think it rises to the level of expectation that I'd hoped for. That's kind of my, yeah. you know. And I mean, they're not my favorite Kith, I'll admit that too. Yeah, I think for me, I wouldn't actually argue with any of your specific points. And at the same time, this is my favorite Kith book. <laughs> And I think it it's the only Kith book where I'd be like, if somebody wants to play a red cap in a game I'm running, I'm like, here, read this. Mm-hmm. Like, I think it does an excellent job of explaining how to play a red cap, both as a PC and NPC and how to represent red cap society, which is what I'd want from a Kith book, ultimately. Maybe it's because the rest of the core material does indeed not really describe them very, you know, mm-hmm. thickly. Yeah, I think what, what is in here could have been in something like C20 core book and wasn't. Like, yeah. I do agree there's more things I would like, but every other Kith book, there's a bunch of things that I really want to take out. So yeah. I think that counts a lot more for me than for you. But it's also like, I, I just feel like there are missed opportunities. You know, tell me more mm-hmm. about what it's like when a red cap actually does get title. Tell me more about, if you're not going to give me societies, give me like groups that are dedicated to Epicureanism. Give me, mm-hmm. you know... Do you mean modern Epicureanism, not real Epicureanism? Yes, I mean modern. Okay. <laughs> Tasting parties. Yes, not, let's have some bread and water while talking about philosophy. Yeah. Okay. Well, that would be an interesting Seder connection, at least. Yes. Um, oh, but that'd be weird. Like, red cap, uh, what are they called? Red cap ascetists? Ascetics? Yeah. 
That would be interesting. You need that faster merit for that. Yeah. And then what are you eating? Well, I'm eating rocks. I don't want to kill anything. <laughs> and it's not that I need stuff that I'm going to directly use in a game. Like Kissbook Slua, I don't think I've ever used an Abbey Lubber or a Kill Moolies or mm-hmm. the famous faces that much in a game. But from that, I can triangulate enough to develop my own distinctive thing that I feel confident mm-hmm. about. And I don't know. I feel like I could do that with red caps, but it wouldn't be the result of a triangulation that this book has provided for me. It's like I have to make my own dots and then connect them myself. And this book just kind of connects more dots that were already there. Yeah. If that makes sense. Yeah. I find it to be like, I like this book and I like dreams and nightmares for essentially opposite reasons. Yeah. <laughs> the minimalist versus the maximalist. Yep. Like there's definitely things in dreams and nightmares. I'm like, no, I am not using that in my game, but like yeah. neither one flushes anything out hugely. So. so we have a couple questions. Van Eck asks, what is your opinion on how the example characters use the red caps themes? And of course, do you like them? I mean, I guess they're variations on a couple of the themes, but I didn't think they were very interesting because the ones who weren't just expressing their hangriness through like permutations of wronged outcast lurks and seeks revenge. Mm-hmm. I liked the ones who didn't do that because while that is a piece of the red cap ethos, the ones like the clown and the reluctant devourer and the scourge, they add a layer of internal conflict to that. And I think that's a good complexity yeah. to add. Actually, there is one. This does actually highlight a bit of a criticism in this book. I think it is useful for playing a red cap in many ways, but at the same time, it doesn't tell you how to make an unseelie red cap that you could have in your as a player character in your mixed group. Yeah, like it doesn't do enough on that. It has the like seely one, but I don't. I think you have there are rooms for unseelie red caps <laughs> in player character groups, especially where some of the other characters are unseelie and whatnot. But it just doesn't really help with that very much. The uh, clown is probably your best bet because it's an unseely who's at least trying to yeah. ingratiate himself with others. But like, what about the unseely red cap that treats the oath circle or motley or whatever the player character group is like, they are your family. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you have a problem with everybody else like that works great. That would have been great to see. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or like a Dexter red cap or something. Mm-hmm. Anyway, in contrast to that, Luna Andromeda Vebe asks, what do you think is the best way to nail down the good red cap trope? I think the clown and the <laughs> and the um what we just said. The scourge are good examples of that. Yeah, being a monster that terrifies other monsters gets back to their roots. Mm-hmm. And I did like that part of the history in here that it specifies their history as monster hunters. Yeah. I like a very nuanced view of Unseelie, but it almost like doesn't work in some ways for red caps. Like the like, I think you could have, like, other kiths and be like, that person's not healing. I'm like, oh, that makes total. That's a very good person still. I don't know if that works for red caps. But. Mm-hmm. I would like to see something like, maybe not a good red cap, but a just red cap. Like, one mm-hmm. who encourages others not to ignore metaphorical hungers they feel, whether it's for social justice or whatever. That would be an interesting. Mm-hmm. And you could play that either sealy or unsealy as, like, an organizer or mm-hmm. an agitator. Yeah, like that one trying to make that throwaway bit about uh, social justice shadow court as not being offensive. That would be. Yeah, yeah, that would be. <laughs> like, is that throwaway line? I think there was somebody trying to make that happen, but they didn't actually do the word right up to make it work. And it's like that. Mm. One last option is make them Sam the Clam, the Bay Area's favorite queer grump redcap co-owner of a bar. Yeah, grump redcap bar owner and grump troll bar owner, both very similar characters. Yeah. And I, I'm fine with that. That's yeah. yeah. Actually, also Boggin Grump Bar Owner. You could almost take the same character and just change Kith. Yeah, but Boggin I feel like is more expected. Like, of course, a Boggin's going to own an eating or drinking yeah. establishment. But if you start up enough trouble, they're all going to deal with you the same. Way. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Anyway, I guess that's that's, that's probably it. enough minutes spent discussing red caps. Yep. So, yeah, you can find us at changelingthepodcast.com. You can send us an email, uh, podcast at changelingthepodcast.com. You can please go on our Discord and talk to us about uh, red caps and interesting ideas for red caps at discord.me slash ctp. You can follow us on Facebook for Changeling the Podcast. We, we still have a YouTube channel, right? I think I forgot mm. to mention that a few times. You know what? 
someday when I have free time, I will continue to upload. Okay. Also, yeah, uh, you can follow us on Mastodon, changelingpod at dice.camp. Huzzah! All of the links will be in the show notes. Yeah, and once again, I'm Josh. I've been the amuse bouche known as Puka. And remember, never say eat me to a red cap. Oh, wait, I had something for this. Um, um, don't, don't piss off a red cap or, or you'll get your just desserts. Red caps of the esteemed Society of Hellraiser Gourmands and Haggis Enthusiasts wish you a fervent mischief night and an appropriately ghastly Halloween as Spooptober approaches its close. The Society would like to point out that the items it distributes to trick-or-treaters are 100% all-natural, local, and organic, and that bobbing for apples is a time-honored tradition not only in the comfort of your own home, but also the romantic privacy of your local haunted riverbank. Be sure to enter their raffle to win this month's treasure, the Picnic Hamper of Devouring. Perfect for all your picnicking needs, your guests go in, and haggis for your remaining guests comes out. Past lucky winners of the Society's raffles include Derek, Dorkadus, Oreo, Razgaboos, Sanchiger, Sija, Terry Robinson, and Tricerabeth. Tickets are regularly issued for listeners who support our Patreon, which you can sign up for at www.patreon.com slash changelingthepodcast. We also appreciate reviews on the listening platform of your greatest convenience, and you're always welcome to stop by our Discord and chat with us at www.discord.me ctp. Until next time, eat well, mischief safe, and keep on dreaming.